0: Hello, everybody. My name is Benjamin Kitchings, and you're listening to the History of Voyager. You know, one of the things I love to do with this podcast is talk to independent creators who are existing in this world where there are no gatekeepers. Or should I say, we are the gatekeeper? I think that's an interesting dichotomy, don't you? When you have to become the gatekeeper, there's a lot more responsibility. And some people might not like that responsibility. Some people might not even be aware that responsibility is even around. Or even, now here's the thing that I've been thinking about for pretty much for years, even before I started a podcast. There is a revolution. There is a technological revolution that is happening. And that has really, in all honesty, I think, been going on for 25 or 30 years But really, I think 2020, with COVID, was kind of the coming out party for this technological revolution. Which a lot of Americans and a lot of people in the world, honestly, really didn't even consider that they were even in. Anyway, I hope you enjoy this episode. this is my interview with fantasy author Kristen Stovall she wrote the book twisted path which is a prequel to her song of souls trilogy we talked about that as well as history and some other things I'd like to tell you guys to like share and subscribe this podcast and anyway, like I always tell you, I'm having a good day, and I hope you are too. Okay, everybody, take care. Bye-bye. Hello, I'm here with Kristen Stovall, the author of Boundless Fantasy Series. Um, So, I read some of your book. It was really interesting. <laughs> Thank you. It reminds me a lot. I don't know if it reminds me a lot of a recent biography I read of, of uh, Catherine the Great and how it would build the world ah, of Catherine the Great. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah.
1: Well, I, yeah. I did take some inspiration from uh, Catherine of Aragon, who is not you know, not Catherine the Great. She was married to like, Henry VIII. Uh, uh, so I, I took some inspiration from that, but that's really cool. Yeah. Also, Boundless Fantasy is my publishing umbrella. It's the Song of Souls trilogy and then the Twisted Path. And then I have the Fae Touch yeah, Chronicles. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> no problem.
1: I just didn't want anyone looking for the Boundless Fantasy series and being yeah. like,
0: what is this? Twisted Path. That's the name of the book I read. Twisted yeah. Path. Um, so tell me about what was the inspiration for Twisted Path?
1: Uh, Well, I've always really enjoyed Tudor history and um, elements of what happened with, uh, like, Henry VIII's older brother married Catherine of Aragon, and then he passed away, uh, and, and then Henry married Catherine. And so that kind of gave me some inspiration for what happened after that. And then just the like the history of how English monarchy happened and God, it was so like unstable there for a while. Being King was not the safest position to be in. It was kind of just a big old target. Um, And so just various elements of that, the war of the roses and all of that. Mm -hmm. And then of course, uh, just putting it within my own fantasy world and things like that and putting my own twist on it. Mm-hmm. So it, it's certainly not like I wouldn't say it follows history like in the same way that like Game of Thrones does with <laughs> <laughs> this is basically British history with dragons and zombies, <laughs> you know, hmm. just with all the warring factions and the you know, you just have so the, much to pull from.
0: The coolest thing I think about fantasy, the, the fantasy genre um, and that, like, with the high fantasy, like the high, um, the, the monarchs and the queens, yeah, and such, yeah, is that now we, we live in this world where we do know so much about history that you could, for example, write a story about a monarchy of a fictional land, but as though like the dragons and the magic was real,
1: yeah, yeah, it's right,
0: cool. right, yeah. Like, and um so what kind of fantasy what inspired you to as far as the fantasy world
1: well i've always loved fantasy i grew up on fairy tales Alice in wonderland i'm a kansas girl so of course you know the wizard of oz and hugely influenced by tolkien he's Mm. just i i love his work i i love the depth in which he's gone into it you know like histories of various races and peoples and languages. And it's just, I, 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 find that fascinating. So I was certainly inspired by that, but I've just always, you know, been the little girl who dreamed of far off places and finding that magical door to Narnia or the the fairy realm, all of that, you know, that was, mm-hmm. that was me. My parents used to always hear from my teachers. Oh, she's a good student, but she's always daydreaming. So I I found a use for it. I've always wanted to tell stories. Originally, I thought that would lead me to the stage. And I I do enjoy acting and being on stage. Mm. But one thing that always chafed at me is that, you know, one, you're limited to what the director, which role the director wants to put you in. So then you're limited to that character. And then you're not telling your story. You're telling a story that's already written. You're just interpreting somebody else's work. And I really realized quickly that what i wanted to do was tell my own stories i wanted to direct what happened so that's kind mm-hmm. of how i edged that way
0: the coolest thing to me is like you you take this what is obviously a tectonic struggle <laughs> and you drill it down to certain people like yeah. the, like they're in the cold you know they're they're in this blizzard <laughs> snowstorm situation and i don't know it's just and, and you know here we are living through a transitional period yeah in, in history and you know <laughs>
1: it's
0: just, yeah. i'm just thinking about that today yeah. yeah 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 it's a
1: way to kind of for me storytelling often is a way to sort of assimilate what's going on around me with the sort of safe filter (laughs) Mm -hmm. everything is filtered through fantasy for me it just makes it a little bit easier to cope with
0: (laughs) yeah like right and then there was a plague that struck (laughs) right suddenly like there's shows about shows about a plague where you're just like that were made in the stone ages of 2015 and you're just (laughs) like That's not how it was. Stop it. Right. <laughs> nobody, nobody did that.
1: Right. And then sometimes you're like, oh, God, that is how it was. Like, some of them really hit it very accurately, and it kind of it just it sends chills down your spine a little bit.
0: I get – I don't want to say PTSD, but I can't watch Station Eleven, the show on HBO Max, Station Eleven. I can't watch that show because <laughs> <don't> it's like <laughs> – It's like, imagine if you made a fictionalized show about COVID, except Mm. it was a lot more lethal, right? Oh, yeah. So you're just like, oh, God, I can't watch that.
1: Okay. Yeah. I've noticed like shows that I watch, like I, I'm a big sci-fi nerd, like, I, like Star Trek and Stargate, any of them that have to do with like there's a breakout, I'm almost always like, mm, don't want to watch this one. <laughs> you
0: know, oh God, skip to the next episode.
1: Right. Not right. interested. And I think far, part, of, part of it for me is that, you know, by the end of the episode, they found a cure and it's all better. And I'm like, that's... <laughs> That hasn't happened, so I don't wanna watch it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> there was a there was a Deep Space Nine episode I, I saw the other day. And you know, you managed to finagle you managed to get this doctor first of all to your plague ridden space station. Yeah. And second, he just like with fifteen minutes to go, just makes up a uh a, like an anecdote for it and <laughs> from something that he barely remembered 40 years earlier and you're like that's not what ha- oh stop it <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i'm
1: older and wiser now and i know that's nonsense
0: <laughs>
1: uh... <laughs> but that's the beauty too of sci-fi yeah. and fantasy at least the ones that i watch as yeah. often they offer hope For Mm -hmm. you will defeat that villain. You will find that cure. And and I think that's why we need those stories as a society. It offers hope.
0: Yeah. So do you want to tell people the the basic uh, plot of Twisted Path or...
1: Sure. Uh, The Twisted Path is a prequel to my Song of Souls trilogy, which is set in a fantasy realm. It takes place about 200 years before the trilogy does, and it really sort of focuses on how the country, Vinalis, how that monarchy gets established, and basically the birth of the nation we see in the trilogy. Mm-hmm. So that's that's kind of although it's a little less dry than that. There's a lot of political uh, intrigue, but it's sort yeah. of in the background, and it it centers around two characters and their journey from tragedy to uh, what happens at the end.
0: <laughs> I mean, you you have to have you have to have a journey. I find in storytelling, yeah. you you can't yeah. really have. Um, you can't have two characters sit in a room and just talk.
1: <laughs> no, Damn. real life would make very boring stories.
0: <laughs> yeah. Unless they're overtly talking about the journey they t- they took.
1: Right, right. <laughs> or
0: whatever, I mean...
1: No, I mean, there are authors right. who do that, who will start with, like, two characters in a room, and they'll mm. be recounting what happened, and then that will launch you into the story. But there's still that mm-hmm. journey.
0: <laughs> yeah, so is your story is it more hobbit or is it more if if you had to say like what's it what is this what's the closest uh fantasy thing as far as template that somebody might have heard of um
1: for the twisted path or Mm
0: -hmm. for the twisted path
1: gosh you know no one has said it remind it reminded them of any particular fantasy story i don't I don't know. I I hate to do to draw that comparison because everybody mm. consumes art and stories in different ways and for me mm. it doesn't actually remind me of anything. That's not to say that you know there isn't some story out there that it would remind people of, but it always more reminds mm. me of the history that I drew from.
0: Um, it reminds me like I said a lot about a modern biography. Mhm. Honestly, it reminds me a lot of you know, a modern biography of somebody caught in a tectonic struggle. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You know. Yeah, definitely.
0: Honestly. Yeah.
1: And I wrote it uh, in 2020. Mm
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: (laughs) yeah, so like I was supposed to go to Disney World for the first time and that didn't get to happen. So Mm. I just, I instead wrote a nearly 600-page book in three months. So now, that's just the first draft. It it then took maybe... It, it took several more months to finish with the editing process because, you know, then I have to read through mm-hmm. it, send it to someone to look at, then they send it to me, then I send it to my editor, so it has a lot of rinses that it goes
0: through mm-hmm. before it comes out. I love this time of, like, the self-publishing. Yeah, the,
1: I, the independent I, writer.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I wish, like, let me say it right, because I would love for it to be where you had a competitor to Amazon that mm-hmm. was as big as Amazon. Right. Because, I don't know, like, I read this book for, this, for a similar podcast to this. Mm-hmm. Um, it was written by a young woman a very young lady she wrote like a zombie apocalypse book cool. but it was from the perspective of this young woman who had never really fallen in love before okay and the thing that was interesting about it was in the before times like so in the old world mm-hmm. this would have been written by some 40 year old person or 35 year old person and so you would have been looking backwards right as the but she wasn't looking backwards she was looking forwards through her own actual experiences and it was really really cool yeah yeah (laughs) you know like i don't know that just really struck me
1: yeah (laughs) and and the thing is like i do have friends who've worked in the publishing industry and Yes, one of the things the publishing industry doesn't want to admit is that traditional publishing is kind of becoming outdated because Mm -hmm. it's accessible to people and there are a lot of independent authors like myself who hire professional editors. And, you know, so they're putting out quality work because they're putting it through the same rinses that Mm -hmm. you would through a publishing house, but they have the creative control.
0: I was talking to a professor um off air the the my podcast about the johnny cash book i was talking to the author of that book off air and we were both kind of saying in some ways we're going back to the future in a lot of ways now we're we're going back to the future and (laughs) you know yeah yeah yeah
1: it's very cool i was telling someone Uh, this was a few years ago, that we're really entering into the age of self-made celebrity. Like you'd have all of these platforms, YouTube, TikTok, all of these platforms that people are just, they're, they're putting out content without the approval of a publishing house or a a traditional studio. They're putting out good content and gaining an audience. And I think that that's really, really cool. I think it's awesome that it, the the art world has opened up like that it's it's not quite so closed in and cliquish anymore now people are like you don't want me fine i'll just do this on my own
0: (laughs) i love so this is like one of my favorite non-history topics this is a (laughs) this is a topic that i love to talk about on this podcast honestly because i've talked to so many of you people like so many of these <laughs> nd creators and yeah. their work is it runs the gamut but some of it is really amazing <laughs> like some of it is really really cool yeah and it's like i was watching this video from this this guy sent me a a, a youtube channel that he did with his family oh cool and that's when i that's when it occurred to me like In the old world of like broadcast television, there were like lawyers, and there were people that knew the rules that you could somebody could tap on your shoulder, tap your shoulder and say, "Hey, hey," (laughs) maybe maybe not. But I'm not saying it was like that. But I'm saying like, wow, like I could totally see this breaking out, and wow, you know, like wow, like
1: right. (laughs) I mean, I think it's great. I think it.
0: It's amazing.
1: Yeah, it puts the power in the artist's hands, in the creator's hands, and I think Can that I, that's really cool.
0: Let me ask you a question. Have you written anything that you know, like in the battle days of a of a legal department and uh whatever else department they have at, at publishing houses? They've been like, "Nah, you can't publish that, or we <laughs> you can't have that in a book."
1: Oh, you I know. have no idea. I don't know that books are quite as stringent with that just because you know it's not something that people are physically seeing and it's it's not like yeah. a tv where it's just on no matter what and like a six year old could stumble onto it it's books are very mm. much you know mm. you, you kind of have to make the choice to read it so i don't i don't think i have but i really also don't know what a lawyer would have
0: Well, I don't mean lawyers.
1: Yeah, or what a publishing house would have said no to. Maybe
0: not lawyers, but marketers. Like, I'll give you an example. I had a podcast with a friend of mine from high school. Okay. And when we started the show, neither one of us had any idea what we were going to talk about. (laughs) It was just just two dudes that hadn't seen each other in years talking. And it ended up being good, and we put it out. Oh, yeah. Back in the bad old days, you couldn't have gone upstairs and been like, hey, I'm going to have a TV show with my uh, my friend from high school, and we're going to put it out. They'd been like, no, you're not. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. You know? I mean, I really, from what I understand, traditional publishers have like a certain amount of certain types of stories they want to put out, and Maybe. I didn't even bother because... I didn't want to wait for someone's permission to tell me i could do it mm. so i i researched what was involved what a traditional publishing house would do with your book and then i tried to sort of follow that template by you know hiring an editor mm. learning how to market and all of that uh, i don't think that there's anything they would have said i couldn't do yeah. or write about they probably would have just been like oh no it's really great but we're not looking for that right now because it's basically what i think most people hear
0: <laughs> like drag like dragons and sp- well, what i mean like content I meant like dragons in space or you know like yeah, the middle ages but in space <laughs>
1: yeah i mean i don't i don't know that there is something they would have necessarily said you couldn't market. it mm-hmm. i'm not sure that that necessarily applies in to the writing world in quite the same way but i could be wrong i, mm-hmm. I don't think i've written anything that they would have said no, you can't do that with cuz I write what I would want to read and what I want to read is high fantasy so. Yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> so who are, who are some of your favorite high fantasy authors? Uh
1: well, Tolkien of course, he's amazing. There's also an author named Juliet Marlier, and I don't know hmm. that she writes high fantasy so much as historical fantasy, but I really like a lot of her work. Uh I loved the Neverending Story. I thought that was really Great. I can't always remember like all of the names of the authors because sometimes it might just be like I read one book and I really liked that one book. Um, mm, yeah. Loved William Goldman with The Princess Bride. Loved that. Mm. So, but like Tolkien definitely is a huge influence, as is Juliet Marlier. Those two are the, the two mm. big ones that I go to. And then also Frank Herbert, even though he wrote sci-fi oh, yeah. with and everything i found that his attention to detail and the fact that he knew his universe really well and that tends to be i think what draws me in is just when you can see the depth added to the stories that i would say is what's like a big pull for me
0: i know i like depth in my stories i know that i like yeah. especially my fantasy yeah um, like when i was watching i don't remember Okay, I started watching Game of Thrones. And then That's I was like, right. hey, you <laughs> know, if you squint, this is a lot like history, right? Yeah. And then kind of I put it down. And then I was reading a magazine article where he, he said, oh, I did that on purpose. Like I yeah. purposely did that. I went back consciously. Like I took time. I got I to gotta watch this whole thing now. Because <laughs> yeah, it's so cool.
1: Uh, Game of Thrones is a sort of one and done for me. Like I watched it once and I was like, all right. And then I was done, which everyone thought that that would be like, I would be obsessed with it. I would be all into it. And then I was just like, mm, it's all right. I got through it. It kind of reminds me a little bit. Like if someone took Lord of the Rings and Dune and meshed them together, like in terms of the history and the cutthroatness and the factions, I was like "It's a little bit Lord of the Rings and Dune. Why
0: Why were you one and done?
1: Um, well, it, I tried to read the first book and couldn't get into it. And the series, it was really good when they were following the books. But I also think that they use the, there's the whole like shocking death thing. And everyone's like, oh, it's so unexpected. And I'm like, no, it's not. It sticks with the same things. It's just, it has all of these red herrings as to who, who the hero is. And then they kill him off. And it just got to where that was predictable. Like okay, this mm. person's gonna die. Oh, that person's gonna die. And I also like, mm. I got tired of liking characters and watching them die horrible deaths. And I was always like, okay, I got to the end. That was, that was fine.
0: Yeah, yeah, but and that's then the history.
1: series kind of fumbled majorly those last two seasons.
0: I mean, but that's history, though.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. I
0: mean, history is complicated. History is. You know, but see, I
1: didn't think Game of Thrones was complicated. I think it was incredibly simplistic pretending to be complicated by using a bunch of shocking deaths to hide what the story was. But I okay. didn't think it did a good job. I thought it was obvious.
0: <laughs> OK, um, so. OK. OK, so what's a st- what's a series or how would you differ? How do your how does your fantasy differ? From, from Game of Thrones in that respect.
1: Um, well, I'd like to think it's not so boring. <laughs> um, ah. the, the truth is, I didn't read the book, so I can't judge what hmm. the books were like. Um, I think it differs in that it follows a logical story and offers hope, as opposed mm. to just losing the thread halfway through with and I'm I'm speaking of the TV series. That's what mm. I finished. And I was okay. not impressed with the later seasons. I thought that the first seasons were good and uh, well-structured and the deaths were surprising. You know, it, it wasn't as obvious. But then as it went on, they kind of just fell on old tricks that they'd played again and again. And then it mm. became obvious.
0: Well, so here's the the genius of his books is that he takes a very, very, very layered and complicated and almost, like, too hard to follow story, and he chops it up into tiny little snippets told from the first person every single time. So you, the reader, have to string the thread together. Mm. Okay? And I don't remember when he quit writing, but they did actually power through like be- they went beyond his Yeah, his, they went beyond books. what he Right.
1: what he'd written. Yeah.
0: They they did. Yeah. So, but the actual books themselves are it's genius because you take a incredibly dense, impossible to follow story and you chop it up into tiny little snippets. Mm-hmm. from the first person mm-hmm.
1: yeah no I, i'm just yeah. i'm not a fan of his writing style because i did try to read the first book and i just yeah. i'm yeah. not a fan of his style i i can't i'm not going to say whether he's good yeah. or bad so you're just more that Tolkien
0: of his. Tolkien yeah. actually told you about the history of the elvish language and yeah. they have the you know all like that
1: i think Tolkien's writing and world has a grace to it that appeals more to me than the world that Martin created. I just. Yeah. One is more my style. One I enjoy a little bit more than the other one. Well, talking, but I'm, I'm a big one on not like trashing something just because I'm not into it. It's just I'm not into
0: yeah. it. <laughs> you know? Well, Tolkien was a philosophy professor, a religious professor, religion yeah. professor. Yeah. Where george martin george rr R. martin was a seasoned television writer mm-hmm. that deliberately wrote a book series that couldn't be made in the television
1: and yet. <laughs> <laughs> and yet
0: and yet and um, yet yeah yeah
1: yeah i yeah i just he's he's not my cup of tea okay is all it is, you know. No, yeah. I think it's great that other people enjoy his work. I mean, I'm not going to say he's untalented or his story is terrible or anything like that. It's just not my cup of tea. So.
0: Well, that's certainly, I've i ter- certainly seen movies like that and stuff. Mm-hmm. So tell me about how did you push yourself? How did, what pushed you to go into the self publishing with Amazon and being an author <laughs> to start with?
1: Um, Well, I had started writing just for fun in my late teens. I think I had kind of dabbled a little bit when I was younger, but never given Mm -hmm. it a tremendous amount of thought. And then in my late teens, early 20s, I started writing it uh, just for fun, for the the pleasure of it. I was writing like Lord of the Rings fan fiction, because that's a really great way to like cut your teeth when you're a baby author. And Mm -hmm. I had loved the Lord of the Rings movies and the Lord of the Rings books. And I had gotten in a community of other women who were writers, and some of them, you know, published writers. And I really just started expanding on that and learning how to put a story together and to describe things. And then when I was in my mid twenties, I met a young man and and fell in love and did the get married and buy a house thing. And then a year and a half later, after battling with depression, he ended his life. And I Mm. went from newlywed to widow and just really didn't know what mm. to do with myself. And that's when I sort of started falling back on my love of fantasy and storytelling. And just I was listening to a piece of music and I had this uh, sort of scene in my head that was a young woman saying goodbye to the spirit of her soulmate. And that's what started mm. Uh, the Song of Souls trilogy. So then I started working on the concepts and the world, and all the while, little bits of the prequel, the Twisted Path, started kind of coming into my head and filling in and being included. And in mm. about five years later, the first book in the trilogy, Soulbound, it came out. And then mm. a year later, I wrote Soulfire, and then a few years later, the last book, Boundless, came out. And then I I wrote The Twisted Path because there's stories I want to tell that take place after the trilogy, but I needed to uh, fill the reader in on the history that I knew before I could go into that story. So now I'm in development, writing out the outline and everything for that new book that... Mm goes back in chronological order and in the meantime i co-wrote a series called the Fay touch chronicles with a friend of mine who's also an author jennifer sanders and we it's a four book series and we got that last book out in may of this year
0: you're a busy woman
1: (laughs) i am i've got two different book projects going right now because on Mm. top of writing the the uh The next story in the Song of Souls universe, which will be called Traitor's Heir, I'm also starting a trilogy with Jennifer again, that's going to be a second generation Robin Hood story. So (laughs) I've got my my plate full.
0: (laughs) What's a second generation? You said something I'm not familiar with. Second generation. So it's like the next generation after Robin Hood?
1: Yeah, Robin's daughter is who it is follows.
0: Uh, oh. And then okay. some
1: other characters who uh do have connections to historical figures but these characters are completely made up, you know.
0: Mm-hmm. How fa- how closely to the actual history are you, of the area cuz sure We are Clark definitely Yes. Yeah.
1: Oh yeah, we are definitely looking at the history researching part of that researching all of that has been part of it, but we're giving mm. it a fantasy lean and that, you know, there's magic. Mm. And Robin Hood was the Robin Hood as we know today was not a historical figure. Like they think he was inspired by some actual people, but, you know, Robin Hood yeah. that we know is not real. So different
0: actual different actual people. Not the same. Yeah, not even
1: yeah. all the same people. Like yeah. uh and yeah. So we are researching the history and finding ways to fit the history into the fantasy elements and into the story that follows these fictional Mm -hmm. characters. So, I mean, there is a big part of that. When we wrote the Fae Touch Chronicles, it takes place in the Victorian era. So, you know, it involved researching, did they have telephones in this particular portion of the Victorian era, which is quite toward the end. It takes place, the first book takes place like the fall after the last Jack the Ripper killing. And then like, Mm. you know what, one of the characters is a doctor. So what kind of medical knowledge would have been used? Where would he have gone to school? What would he have been taught? Things like that. You know, there's just a lot of, it's interesting, all the little fine detail things that you have to research that I, I don't think most readers really care about, but yeah, you, you still need to make sure it's as accurate as possible. And and then, of course, there are some times where you're like, well, I need to tweak this a little bit to make it work. So I know that this wasn't really in use until a year later, but mm. we're going to have the, the wiggle room of fiction and just put an author's note in there, you know?
0: Yeah, I mean it's it's funny, you know, here we are frolicking in the modern era, basically. And like you can be a creative person and you can be, you know, you wanna tell a story. Mm-hmm. Right. That's set in a in a previous era. Right. And like I remember I had a, a screenplay that I really wanted to tell, really wanted to write. But it was a historical thing. And a buddy of mine, I was telling him this whole thing. And, like, I had this whole involved story that would have been. But he said, yeah, but, Ben, that never would have happened. Because do you remember back there? Like, this right there. That would have stopped the whole thing. (laughs) I was like, oh,
1: yeah. Damn it.
0: (laughs) 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 Yeah. So, I don't know. And then you get into the interesting historical debates of, you know, so, like, with the dragons, right? You get into this interesting historical debate of, like, were the dragons really dinosaur bones? Like, were they finding dinosaur bones? And right. Did they think that was dragons? And Or were and they also- seeing
1: some sort of natural phenomenon mm-hmm. and just, you know, because they didn't have the means of measuring it, just go, oh, that's a dragon. It's a monster, you know? <laughs>
0: right or like so did the king did this king believe in dragons yes or no we don't <laughs> you know like, yeah, yeah. And, right. and
1: the further we get from an era the more it's guesswork on our parts because historical records only withstand so much time particularly if they were on paper and everything and while we still have a fair amount to go by there's mm. You have to think about how much was lost as well,
0: right? And also, like we have, so we, you, and I exist in a world of logic, where mm-hmm. people have logic, and we, most of us, think the scientific method is real. Not all of us, but most <laughs> of us do. Yeah. Um, but you know what I'm saying. Right. So there was a there was a trial transcript that I read from like the 1200s okay? And I think it was called the Lord Castlehaven Trial. I don't remember the name of the trial, but I remember the trial. Like, I remember reading it, and we went over it in class and stuff, and why in the world this has not been made into a television show or a movie? I'll never figure out in my life. Because the things that were apparently going on in that house, or the things that they thought were going on in that house, were just bonkers. (laughs) and obviously not happening like you you're obviously not summoning the demon the the devil every thursday right but but what were you doing
1: (laughs) (laughs) right i mean i think what's it because you said we live in a an age of logic and all that but i think all ages like they think all societies in times of history thought that they knew better than the previous ones that their way was the logical reasonable way and so i always like to think like in a hundred years, they're going to think that about us. <laughs> you know? Like, there'll be some new scientific measurements, some new discoveries. And I I wonder what things that we believe are fact, like, in a hundred years are going to be disproved or, you know, modified. It's just a fascinating idea to me. because. We will, yeah. there will be things that we believe are absolutely concrete now that in a hundred years, I think that they're going to be like, oh my God, they believed that, <laughs> you know, like, and I wonder what they, those things are. That's well, not to say so- I discredit, like I discount science or anything, but there's always that moment of, I wonder if someday they'll look back at this thing and think we were nuts. <laughs> you know?
0: I'll, I'll give you an example, um, <laughs> that I recorded last weekend. I haven't released it. Mm-hmm. Um, I need to nail myself to this chair and, and work on that podcast <laughs> and release it because I have to release it. But the thing he said that I'm I'm just in the I'm just out here in the in the kitchen being like oh god look at all okay is do not store food in non microwave safe containers. Mm. Because if it's not microwave safe it's also not refrigerator safe which means there's a chemical reaction that happens in the plastic Mm -hmm. that puts the plastic in the food it puts something about the plastic in the food which can cause cancer yeah so that's something (laughs) (laughs) you know like
1: well i mean but also you can't put a metal pot in the microwave but that's not plastic so. and it's
0: not this not for the same reason also right right also don't the- don't yeah don't put metal
1: pots in microwaves or just don't don't do the things <laughs> yeah
0: yeah but so that's something um i don't know i mean I've always kind of thought, like, hmm. I've always wondered if, like, like, radiation from televisions and, like, m- remote controls and things. Like, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Here I am with a cell phone on my desk. So. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, we do have a lot of... Uh... Mm-hmm lot of different energies floating around us and everything all with the yeah. electromagnetic energy and all of the just electronics and everything that we use there's a lot there's a lot mm-hmm. i don't think about it too much <laughs> on that front i'm just like i'm gonna just enjoy i mean yeah. we can easily get ourselves locked in this space where we're worrying about all of the things that you know Mm. It could be poisoning us or going wrong. And then I think we stop living because we're just worried about everything, and that's that's not how I'm gonna live. I try to be as healthy as possible. I try to eat like healthy food. All you know, that being said, I totally just ate some Cheez Its, but <laughs> it's like a rare treat, the Cheez Its.
0: cheez Its aren't healthy? <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's it's cheese. <laughs>
0: yeah i I, I always joke i always joke i say i was old before i learned that the television could work without (laughs) cheez-its i
1: I don't want to live in that world but i do uh yeah
0: yeah i love cheez-its um (laughs) hmm. so so obviously you're well, not obviously. Let me ask you. Um <laughs> when I look at your fantasy, like when I read your fantasy, I'm not saying like it felt like Europe to me, because it didn't, but it felt more like Europe than anywhere else, or at least my idealized thought of what Europe would have been like. Right. So where did you think of or did you think about where where you would put it?
1: Well, I mean, like I said, I uh, I was inspired by British history, which is part of Europe, you know, and I, I mm-hmm. I'm definitely inspired by Irish and Scottish mm-hmm. folklore and all that. I would, and from various articles I've read, I would say that I probably do write a little bit more like European British fantasy mm-hmm. than I do American. I'm a huge Anglophile, for one, like. So I th- I think that's fair. <laughs> I think you picking up on that is fair. And also, I do think that, you know, we do equate things like castles and knights and, and all of those things to European. Mm-hmm. I mean, because the- that's the origin of a lot of, you know, Arthurian legend and everything. And that's kind of, I think, really our brains just sort of lean that way when it comes to high fantasy.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, the thing that separated Frank Baum from everybody—you just mentioned Frank Mm -hmm. Baum—the thing that separated Frank Baum um, from other folks was the fact that he made sort of an American-centric fantasy world, like Oz.
1: Right, right, yeah. You
0: know, I don't know. I don't know. I'm just
1: thinking. Well, uh, you know born and raised in kansas so he obviously does have some influence i i do have a pair of ruby slippers in my my office and they are like individually applied swarovski red crystals on these things they look amazing in the sunlight and a fun fact is my feet are the same size that judy garland's were when she filmed the wizard of oz i have little teeny feet like she did
0: Wow. wow that's pretty cool
1: yeah, so but I, I do love you mm. know, just being a Kansas girl, like I do mm-hmm. love the Wizard of Oz and certainly connected with Dorothy as a little girl.
0: Oh but I mean Never
1: enough to try going into tornado. I still went into the basement for that, but I mean, you know, after we went out on the front porch to see if we could
0: oh, see for, it in
1: the distance. For a
0: tornado, yeah. Yeah,
1: because yeah, that's what you do in the Midwest. You don't. You hear the tornado mm. sirens. And you go. Mm, doesn't quite feel like there's a tornado coming. I'm gonna go out on the porch and look at the sky for a bit. And you know, we don't immediately go to the basement. <laughs> we go <can> look. <laughs> that's how we
0: roll. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Like, so we have tornadoes here. Um, in Georgia. Yeah. not. Oh yeah. Okay, they're they're terrible. I mean, you still. Like they still devastate towns and, but it's not oh, yeah. like like this the width of a of a skyscraper. Like it's not gonna be that wide. Um right. still dangerous, still kill people. Oh um, yeah. Oh yeah. All like that. But like we have a lot of hills and mountains where I live. So if you hear the tornado siren, like you can't be like, Oh, let me go out and find it, because it could be right <laughs> or- <laughs>
1: Right. Yeah. There's a
0: mountain. Well, and a you know, hill. In
1: Kansas- <laughs> right, get me back behind those. Okay. You know, Kansas is so much mm. We do have hills. We're not as flat as everybody thinks. We're really not just one big. There are really flat sections, but we Kansas as a whole is not just completely flat like people think. Um so, you know, and the other thing mm. too is and this is just growing up in Kansas where there are a fair few tornadoes you learn to kind of watch your pets. And if they're calm and cool, you're like, nah, <laughs> this tornado isn't coming. <laughs> um,
0: but then also bear in mind
1: that they will set off the tornado sirens if it's within so many miles of of the town. And it may not ever even actually hit the town. It just fits within that mile radius. Oh, yeah. And, and it, like, it's all... Oh, Usually, it just seems like they mostly hit a lot of pastures, although they have hit towns, and unfortunately, you know, they hit Mm -hmm. farms and stuff quite frequently. I've certainly seen tornado damage.
0: I remember years ago now, I remember I uh, was sitting in my apartment, and I I had actually fallen asleep in the recliner, (laughs) and I got a phone call from a friend of mine that I hadn't heard from in years. really really early in the morning like it was like hey ben are you alive why (laughs) am i not alive like okay what what's happening
1: (laughs) right why did you open with that
0: (laughs) (laughs) apparently like there was a tornado that had basically skirted right past me oh my Um, gosh yeah And I could actually see, like, I went on the weather radar, like, of the television back when I had cable, Mm -hmm. and I could literally see, like, the little tiny street that I lived on (laughs) in the weather radar, and I'm like, oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Wow. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I guess, like, you know, if you live in California, earthquakes are a thing, you just sort of Mm. No, can happen, and they don't freak out. Now we sometimes get earthquakes here, and I don't remember that happening when I was a child. But in the last maybe ten years, they've been happening, and we panic about the tiny earthquakes. We're just like, "Oh my god, it's the apocalypse!" And and you know, like (laughs) I have friends who are from California who live here, and they're like, "That was nothing," and I'm like, "No, it was the end of the world." (laughs) You know, it's
0: well, that's from fracking. I mean, that's that's what that is. That's from fracking, but um. Yeah, like that's what's so crazy is like we technically there's a fault that runs through town. Um mm-hmm. there's a technically there's some kind of fault that runs right through the center of my town. And technically oh, yeah. like if it ever if it ever did go, like it would be a big deal because yeah. it's one of those things that doesn't move. So right. what what they say is like the little earthquakes save you. Like the little earthquakes are are good because they they prevent like the big one.
1: Oh, um, that's cool.
0: Yeah. So, yeah, we've never had um the fault. I don't think it's gone it's done anything in like 200 years or I think one time in like 150 years it might have done something, but
1: <laughs> yeah, <Not good>. <laughs> <laughs> Just keep that fault stable and quiet. <laughs> <laughs>
0: let's hope it stays that way yeah but um no yeah no when i talk to the people in california about the fires that that's when they freak out
1: oh yeah that i mean that is scary though Mm -hmm. (laughs) fire is so destructive and 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 the thing is it's not yes it can be caused by natural things lightning strikes and everything but it can also just be called caused by carelessness you know like a tornado and an earthquake cannot be caused by someone dropping their cigarette in a careless place or flicking a match or something but a fire Mm. can you know it's just it's so sad
0: oh yeah it's so scary and sad and yeah Mm -hmm. um but it also kind of makes me like makes me kind of wonder like the fire breathing dragons they would they have experienced the forest fire in a drought and thought a dragon caused that or something i don't know who
1: knows yeah 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 but it it Um, is cool the way they would explain various things back then you'd be like you you don't think that was something a little more simple, but no, now it's a drag. Okay, it's a dragon. Right, okay. I mean, I thought, oh, dragon. Okay. <laughs> you know.
0: <laughs> well, you <laughs> so know, one of, <laughs> one of my podcast guests talked about how some there was some fire that was a hundred miles wide or yeah. something. So think about that. I mean, that's
1: that's terrifying. That's,
0: <laughs> that's terrible.
1: Really <laughs> terrifying. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. No. We had a so, house
1: fire scare a few years ago, and that was that was enough for me. <laughs>
0: so. Oh, God. Tell me about that, house fire scare.
1: Uh, Well, we were out, my mother and I, because my mom lives with me in my house, I moved her in after my dad passed away. We were outside on the patio, sipping our coffee on a Saturday morning, and I came back in the house, and everything was off, and it was filled with just black smoke, and the stove had got left on and there was something mm. sitting on it and it, the stove caught on fire. Now the, the great thing is my stove is actually an old cast iron one. It looks like an old Victorian like cast iron stove, but it's electric and it had been my grandmother's and she left it to me because I told her I loved it and I was the only one who loved it. So it's mine now. And the, the knobs were a little funny. You couldn't actually see when it was off. But because it was cast iron and contained and had legs up off the floor, the rest of the house actually did not catch on fire. It was just the stove. And amazingly, it now worked all we had we just had to have it rewired and it is functional. <laughs> like, things were built to last. But the cast iron uh, kept it from catching anything else on fire. So to yeah,
0: keep that fire I mean, Right. I had, um,
1: I will say I did run back in the house to grab my copies of my books and my laptop, even though I, at mm. that point did not know the house wasn't on fire. <laughs> like I was like, no, my babies. Mm. <laughs> so I can't say I'd run into a burning house for my books. <laughs> Cause I did it. <laughs> <laughs> so,
0: yeah. So, um, tell me about, What's the fuel for your fiction, for your fantasy? Like what, do things happen in the world and you think, see, this would be good for a fantasy novel.
1: (laughs) Uh, Sometimes for some stories, I mean, it's different for each story. Sometimes it's just, often it's a piece of music and that will sort of create imagery in my Mm. head or a scene sometimes it's a character will come to me first sometimes it is something i see going on around me or that i'll read in history so it really is very much story to story character to character
0: what about so what about like uh let me give you an obvious maybe it's obvious to me uh kate middleton yes um yeah, okay, fine. She came from a wealthy family, mm-hmm. but they were they were new money, I think. Yeah, yeah. Right. And she meets this man that by all as I sit here today, he's probably going to be the king of England at some point. Yep. Probably. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean,
0: we Odds don't know
1: what the future brings, but, like, right now, yeah. as it stands, he is expected to be king of England at some point.
0: <laughs> at some point in the none-too-distant future. Right. With that To me, like, that would be fantasy fuel right there.
1: Right. Like, I it's mean, it's, it's more or less like a dozen fairy tales, you know? <laughs> Cinderella yeah. and, the, and the like. So, yeah, yeah. it's definitely very... Um, fairy tale the the Mm -hmm. the humble girl meets the the charming prince so it's cool Mm -hmm. it's kind of cool to see that that see that sort of little that story play out in real life Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. with fewer
1: fairy godmothers and magical intervention it seems unfortunately
0: (laughs) i I gotta i gotta tell you i read some clickbaity story i guess about how uh the prince or the prince or not the princess, the, the queen of England uh-huh. has some kind of spat or something with I forget who it was. <laughs> okay. I forget which one of her daughters in law or granddaughters in law it was that she that the clickbaity article said she had a spat with. And I right. was like, you know, look it. If this were the Middle Ages, you need to step up your game. If this were the <laughs> Middle Ages, I mean the daughter-in-law would be in would be in Europe. She'd be marshaling an army. Uh, come on. Oh
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: You
1: know? now it's all done via social media. <laughs> that's how they that's how they marshal their armies,
0: like, armies uh, of fans. Like you, you'd mentioned. I think you'd mentioned earlier, Eleanor of Aquitaine. Um, that to me, that whole where she went over, she went all through Europe and. Maybe it wasn't Eleanor. Maybe but another was a Queen of England that went all over through Europe and tried to marshal an army against her husband.
1: I think that was Eleanor.
0: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I I didn't I mean, mention
1: her. I mentioned Catherine of Aragon, but I yeah, you know I've yeah. looked at enough history <laughs> with Eleanor of Aquitaine, who was I mean, the mother of Richard, the Lionheart and yeah. Prince John and all of that. There's a play exactly. about that called The The Lion in Winter.
0: hmm yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But to me, like I don't know, I just I just always loved history.
1: Oh yeah, it's mm-hmm. I think it's yeah. important to read it and know it and to look at it both through the perspective of the lens of the time you look live in and also from the perspective of what it would have been then. Because their rationalizations and their reasons and the way you got things done were very different from now. So I think you kind of have to look at both in order to really mm. kind of get a better feel for it.
0: Mm. Give me an example of looking, of um, doing both.
1: Um, just like an example of, uh, well, like I'm really fascinated by Anne Boleyn. Mm. And, you know, if you look at the, look at, at the, restraints she had as a woman in renaissance period and everything that she did and and, and uh, mm-hmm. did mm-hmm. to move forward but then also almost all of the records we have of from that were from people who didn't like her so you have to that mm. it was basically like their version of a social media smear campaign with all of the <laughs> the diplomats and and uh yeah. all they didn't like her but then you know and and people Some would call her a harlot and some would call her just, you know, that she would use people. So you kind of have to look at, she was working within the confines of what she could do. But then, you know, now we always want to be like, Oh, she was working for women's rights and everything. I was like, I don't know, maybe she was, but I think she was mostly working to kind of not get killed, which didn't work well for her. But (laughs) back then, if the King wanted something from you, you know also
0: like wasn't her sister don't i remember that like her sister had her
1: sister was uh his mistress for a time yes
0: Mm. and her sister also had like she had bad experiences too it wasn't like right i think Um, i remember that
1: her sister was his mistress for a time he lost interest her husband passed away. She remarried someone for love and not that her family picked to, you know, promote the family interests and fell out of favor with her sister and everything. She had children with this man and uh, they, mm. I I think she actually ended up being fairly happy, but I haven't done as much studying unmarriedable then. But I, I, she... Uh, she really came to fame with, like, the whole, the other Boleyn girl, and mm. that's yeah. that's alright. I mean, there's really, there's very little evidence, like, historical evidence that says that she actually had a child with Henry VIII. Some say she might have, other historians are like, no, she didn't. <laughs> that wasn't his, that wasn't his child. <laughs> So I mean she she yeah. I think lived a fairly quiet life I don't know that anything I mean apart from the fact that like her brother and sister were executed as traitors and the family lost everything I think she lived a fairly she had managed to disassociate herself with the family at that point so it didn't come you know crashing down on her the same way it did like George and Anne
0: well you're you're doing better than me you remember your names <laughs> I mean I, I just remember hearing i mean i remember sitting through class and and you know hearing about it and then i saw i think the other Berlin girl had come out yeah but i saw it years later like i right. saw it there's years a couple of
1: versions it of it a couple yeah. of other uh, the other Berlin girls that are out uh mm. i've read the book i've seen the movies i'm not a huge fan of them but a lot of people enjoy them i mean yeah I don't have a problem with the books. I just get a little frustrated that the author likes to claim that she's basically a historian when she writes a lot of stuff that is just not substantiated by history and then, like, tries to claim that it's really accurate. And I'm like, "Mm, it's okay if you didn't make it accurate. Just admit that. It's okay. You don't have to pretend it's accurate.
0: I mean, I don't like that either. But at the same time, I mean... I actually had a just dis- i actually had a disagreement with somebody about this yesterday online you know i think history is so the uh, the concept of history is so lacking in the in the general populace mm-hmm. you know i just i would like people to know basic historical facts yep yeah there's there's just an amazing number of people that don't realize that what happened beyond after like there's an amazing number of people in our society that don't understand history from the day before they were born like there's just zero you know
1: yeah there's just there's not a lot of interest which is sad because it's actually really fascinating it's it's the story of the human condition
0: but it's also important it's it's it is interesting it's important
1: it, yeah, it is you know. important. And it's important not just to look at the, the big events, but at um the events that enabled the big events to take mm-hmm. place because it's it's yeah. um, it's not it's generally not as like straightforward. It wasn't just like, boom, one day Hitler was on the scene and and started the Holocaust. There was a bunch of stuff that happened beforehand that primed mm. that country for what mm. he did.
0: You know, all right. it's,
1: it's important to look at all those little elements. There's a, there's a lot. There's a lot of stuff. A, there was a lot of desensitizing to things that happened before mm-hmm. in order to enable him to do the things that he did. And, and well, that's sad.
0: There was a lot of desensitizing, but there was all. And I don't mean to minimize that at all. Oh, right. But there was also this problem in Europe of you had a country that didn't exist one moment and then it did and it from the moment it existed it was a huge economic power Mm. but it also didn't have any oil and that's a big problem in a world where you need oil to run cars right where it's becoming
1: increasingly
0: yeah yeah Mm
1: -hmm.
0: i mean that and i don't mean to minimize the human like he killed a lot of people and Oh, right. Like that. right well there,
1: but usually there are reasons like that behind it not that it justifies it in any way shape or form it's but still it, it, terrible but like you have to look at all those little yeah. things going on those undercurrents all mm-hmm. of that stuff that that really that's what builds up till you see those big tidal waves on the surface
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah mm-hmm. and you know i mean i don't know i you talk about little things leading to big things. I think one of the little things we've got going on now that's positive, I think largely positive, is you're able to communicate with just anybody who yeah. also has an internet connection.
1: Mm-hmm. And we, we think. We just need of it, to learn to be responsible with that.
0: Well, I, I've talked to people, in fact, my entire podcast that I've talked to people. It's amazing how many people I've talked to. Oh yeah, I met my girlfriend in in the comment section of a YouTube video. Or, <laughs> oh yeah, I met my boyfriend and on Reddit or da da da. And this is the infant infancy. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, it's like I was telling you off air the the people that learned how to code because there was a war going on next to them, literally uh, a a yeah. war happening. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah it's it's interesting what people will come up with and learn to do when faced mm-hmm. with adversity and difficulty. that's really I, I think that's something that's cool about mm-hmm. human beings.
0: Yeah, I do too. I mean I do too. Where do you think we're going technologically?
1: Uh, I don't know. I hope it's to having things like holodecks. Cause I, I could enjoy that. I could enjoy, I think writing hollow novels. Cause then I would actually get to, I'm I'm not going to lie here. If there was a holodeck, I would just put in my books and then I would be like, I will now play in my book worlds, but I will not let the characters know that I'm the one that wrote it. Cause they might try to kill me. <laughs> you know? It's not going to do that. I was mean to them. They'll try to kill me. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it, it's difficult to say. It just depends, I think, on what science, like what scientific leaps we make, and also on the various needs. You know, hopefully we're working toward better medical things so that things mm-hmm. that we can't cure now or help people with now, we will be able to. I mean, all joking aside, like, I would love a holodeck, but that would be where I would hope. <laughs> We would go is is learning ways to help people with ailments and and physical disabil- disabilities and all of that help them in ways that we can't help them right now
0: well i think that we will eventually but i think first like like i remember having a discussion with a with a doctor like a phd about mm-hmm. um virtual reality oh yeah And he couldn't see the use case for this person with the PhD, who was a very interesting guest and very fascinating person Mm -hmm. and all that. He said, I couldn't, I can't see the use case for, for any of this. Right. I couldn't wait till he quit talking because, oh, I could right now. And he said, really what? And I said, you're too old. Think about like, you could go meet that girl or you could go meet that boy or whatever. And think about how that's going to change us genetically because you know you are you're also going to have translators
1: mm-hmm. right? right so
0: <laughs> you know well
1: and entertainment has a use and a, like we need entertainment mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. maybe it's not a huge scientific leap or medical leap that would help exploration or healing people but we as humans need entertainment like we don't really if you look at it we didn't have to make TVs we don't we, we could live without TVs and yet TVs were made and they are constantly being improved you know so mm. uh, entertainment value is not to be discarded when looking at the, the scientific progress and technological progress because I mean I think if you look back through the ages we will spend a lot of energy on ways to entertain ourselves <laughs>
0: Absolutely. And I say all the time now that, you know, we have all this free time and we don't realize we have it because we've never not had it.
1: Right. Right. And we do, we fill it up with so much that I think we don't even necessarily think about it being free time. because We just fill it.
0: Here's a thought. Tell us how, if we were magically transported to your world <laughs> okay. in the Twisted Path, how would you... Um, what would you recommend for to survive?
1: Oh, um, to survive,
0: yeah.
1: Um, well, be careful with who you make alliances to. Honestly, maybe just find a nice, stable, quiet village and keep your head down. Don't walk <laughs> into any fairy rings, that could be real bad for you. That would not <laughs> go well, um, yeah, you know. Just try not to gain the attention of those who are seeking power. (laughs) Just kind of be like, "Ah, I'm good. Thanks. I'll just sit here and bake my bread. You know, Mm. Mm. I guess it sort of depends on what you you uh, wanted to do in that world. Uh, maybe go to the city of the blessed which is where all the magic users are it's it's really well fortified you get to see all the different elements of wonder you'll meet some fairies
0: uh, so some elves in, you know so in general uh what's what's the uh, if i were to live in your world uh okay. of, of your twisted path right <laughs> okay. the book twisted path not your personal <laughs> yeah <laughs> like, in general like what would you tell the the listeners is happening like why would i feel pressured in your world
1: well let's say venalus which is the kingdom where it primarily takes place is mm-hmm. a kingdom who which used to be made up of several clans and has only recently come under the rule of one king whose uh dynasty is not stable because he does not have any children so uh you know just bear in mind it's a baby nation with a lot of people vying for power and un- things aren't stable hmm. so yeah. find a try to find a quiet corner and uh, don't get in people's way because you don't want to get mixed up with some of these people
0: As you're talking about this thing, I'm immediately thinking, I could totally see how this lady, uh, how you could live in 2020 and come (laughs) up with that fantasy.
1: (laughs) Gee, however could that happen? (laughs) I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I definitely Uh, did. I think I was certainly influenced by everything that was going on. There was so much uncertainty. And, you know, I think that, we as a people kind of on some level thought that oh we couldn't get taken down by a virus. Like we're, we're so we're, we're medically advanced. Like it's not going to, I think there was a level of disbelief that it, it could go where it went. I think that we were very naive in many ways and you know, but yeah, I mean, I think in, in some ways we're kind of at a technological Renaissance because in the Renaissance, they, they, a lot of people felt the same way and there were a lot of fears you know so i i think we just we label things differently we view through a different lens but i think like the base emotions are the same
0: and at the end of the day Kristen, it's the emotions that tie us together i think it's the emotions that make people connect with fiction i want to thank you for coming on my show and like I tell everybody, I'm having a great day, and I hope you are too. All right, and I'm going to leave the links uh, to your to your book, Twisted Path, in my description. And um, thank you very much for coming on my show. All right, folks, I'll see you guys later. Bye.